This is The God Show, a conversation about the human spirit, with your host, Pat McMahon. Listen, this is not going to be a, a, a broadcast secret or anything like that. But when you do a program like this, particularly 23, 24 years of doing The God Show, uh, you have to acknowledge that with the broad range of guests that we have on an infinite number of subjects, at least locked together with some spiritual link, that's just about it. Uh, but most of them I'm meeting at the same time that you are. Uh, and I'm introducing our guests uh, to you uh, shortly after I say hi off the air and introduce the show and uh, tell everybody where it's coming from, Phoenix, Arizona. And tell everybody that it's an international show being listened to around the world. So you folks in Egypt and you folks in Finland and the Philippines, just know you're in good company here, particularly today, because this is that unusual situation in which I'm reintroducing myself and introducing most of you to our guest, a longtime friend of mine with whom I worked in broadcasting for a number of years at a news talk radio station in Phoenix, Arizona, called KTAR. He is called Andy McClure. And Andy, when we got together uh, at KTAR, uh, I was a talk show host, and you were producing, is that right? That is correct. Well, since then, you moved into a different field. So why don't you share with everybody what one does when he gets fed up with broadcasting, what is the career choice that you made? Career choice I made, I actually left KTAR and uh, went into full-time ministry. I uh, was a seminary grad at Fuller Theological Seminary in Southern California, and uh, we took a calling to move to Colorado. We live in the town of Erie, which is just east of Boulder and just north of Denver. Great location. To start a church. Great location. Boulder, terrific college town. Denver, great city. And Erie has Andy McClure spiritually, so I guess things are going pretty well there. And we should acknowledge the fact that we're not here to enhance the Chamber of Commerce activities in Erie, Colorado. We're here because Andy McClure wrote a book called Just Show Up. Uh, subtitle, you never know who will be blessed. I know the audience will be, because I know Andy McClure, and I read the book, Just Show Up. So, Andy, okay, we got the title, Just Show Up, and then what? Well, this, the book, while my oldest daughter, Whitney, is the inspiration, she is not the focus of the book. Um, we woke up very sadly four years ago next month to a son-in-law calling in a panic that our daughter had stopped breathing. And by the time they got her to the hospital and got her into emergency and did everything they could at 12.05 that afternoon, she breathed her last. Ultimately, it took many months for the Department of um, Health here in Colorado and the CDC nationwide to determine what took her life. She ended up passing 
due to acute pneumonia caused by E. coli bacterial infection. And she was involved with, with a tonsillectomy, wasn't she? She had had a tonsillectomy, but they're, in, they're not related. We just thought that maybe there was some pain and residual of having that done that, you know, that's why she was having some breathing issues. It took, like I said, several months for it to finally come back as, no, you and I are born with diseases in our system. We have cancers and other things like E. coli, but we have an immune system that suppresses that and keeps it in check. Her immune system uh, gave way and ultimately took her life at the age of 28. Oh, and a married woman uh, with so much promise. And I will tell you, Andy, I was going to bring up uh, Whitney a little later in the show, but I'm glad you did, particularly since she was the inspiration behind the book that we're going to be talking about. But uh, you really got my attention because the first chapter, chapter one, is about that tragic loss in your life and what it meant to you and your wife, Carrie, and to Whitney's husband and the rest of the family. Here's what it meant to me. It took place on August the 20th, 2018. August the 20th is my birthday. And uh, mm. when, when I saw this uh, as the opening chapter, uh, I thought... Uh, I've got to set this aside a little bit from my personal life because that's coming up in my life. And from now on, I'm going to be remembering Whitney. But when when you say just show up, what has that got to do with the loss of Whitney? An issue that's been on my heart, and I would say literally two decades, is this this idea of just show up. And that is, I think biblically we are called to step in and help our neighbors, our family, our friends, our co-workers, whomever it is we cross paths in their moments and times of need. And so when Whitney passed 15 minutes, one five, people were already showing up at the hospital. 15 minutes. How does that happen? I, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I can't take a phone call put on my shoes, grab my car keys and wallet, jump in the car and get anywhere in 15 minutes. But it happened. And within 30 minutes, there were 30 people that had shown up in the hospital. Mm. And they continued to show up until 11 o'clock at night at our house. And they did for the next week. People were showing up, serving. They came, they, they scrubbed our counters in our kitchen, they scrubbed our bathrooms, they folded our laundry, they brought food. And then that Saturday, so she passed on a Monday noon, and on Saturday was the funeral. It was held at her high school. Her husband really wanted it to be there. And 800 people showed up for her memorial service. Was this in Erie? Yeah, well, the school's in Lafayette. Peak to Peak is a charter school in Lafayette, which is just a little town next. But still, still not a huge, uh, major populace, though. And and that many hundreds of people showing up. What a tribute to you and your family. I'm sitting here almost four years later, still, still feeling so overly blessed that people showed up from all over the country. Um, I had NCAA uh, basketball 
game officials show up. I had a actual college woman, a woman's college basketball team show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, college friends I hadn't seen in a decade. Um, all figured out a way to get to town and to be there for that memorial service. I mentioned the the first chapter and the transition to chapter three really got my attention because the chapter that I'm talking about now is is led by the name Woody Allen. Please, <laughs> please help us make that segue. Woody Allen made a, had a quote sometime in the 80s that he said uh, showing up is 80% of accomplishment. And, and I, you know, I'd always wrestled with that. So I had to do some research to figure out what, I, what he was meaning. And it totally fit within this. And that is Woody Allen, as most people know, is, gosh, he's got to be into his 80s now, but had such a prolific career with, with movies that sometimes he starred in, but many times he wrote and produced and directed and uh, romance comedy kind of things. And when he said that, what he meant was people come to him and say, hey, I have an idea. I have an idea for a book or for a movie or for a play. And he's kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Well, 80% of accomplishing what you want to do is just showing up. What he's meaning is then write it. Write the book, write the play, write the screenplay, and get it ready for production or for somebody to buy it and produce it themselves. So many people think, if I, I thought about you during that time of loss, well, did you show up? Thinking about it's one thing, but showing up is the issue. And I've dealt with too many people in ministry over my lives that you know, we'll have conflicts with people because they kind of bailed on a relationship. You know, somebody passed in the family, they didn't show up at the funeral, or they didn't call them, or they didn't send a card or a letter. It's because they just didn't show up. And I had for two years, because, and I know you know this, besides the ministry aspects of my life, I do a lot of work for the NCAA around the United States and the world. And I serve as public address announcer for universities, and I was blessed last summer for uh, the Olympics and uh, going to Tokyo and working there. And you've and been so, offered uh, you've been offered regular positions with Major League Baseball too to do both work, uh, right? Yeah, well, MLB and the NFL. Yeah, and and I'm not going to mention the towns or the cities because I don't want people calling them going, "Why didn't you hire him?" No. <laughs> it, it, Because a stipulation of that hiring was my wife and I had to move to those towns. And um, for a thousand reasons, we didn't want to move. Why? Because we have family here. Uh, Now two daughters, both married, one as of two weeks ago. The other one's been married five years. Whitney and her husband, Jeff, had been married seven. And um, we now have a grandson. And I will admit this, he talks as much as his grandfather. He just doesn't get paid for it yet. And so uh, I'm like, no, I'm not going to walk away from this. I'm not going to do that. My family is that valuable that I'm going to show up in their lives and show up in their situations 
Um, you know, it's not every dad that has the opportunity to officiate all three of his daughter's weddings. No, and no, so but think, listen, there are people now, you're talking about somebody shouting and jumping up and saying, uh, why didn't you hire him? Uh, there are people that are shouting right now, wait a minute, you decided to give up Major League Baseball or the NFL, you could have been in the booth with these people and doing those kinds of, of ballgames, and instead you decided to take on the highly lucrative position of a relatively small-town minister standing in the pulpit just looking forward to seeing how long it takes to take up the collection. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there are people right now who are saying, hey, no, God bless you and God bless us, but God bless the NFL, too. Was it that easy a choice to make? For me personally? Yes. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. I had son-in-laws looking at me going, what in the world were you thinking? And I go, what I was thinking was, I want to be here when you have your first child. I don't want to just get pictures off the Internet. I want to be here. And I want to be here when they take their first steps. And I want to be here when they start talking. And I want to be here when they start playing Little League or they play, you know, junior soccer or something. Why? Because that's my show-up moment. See, a, minister, a minister who walks the walk, too. What an interesting concept. Uh, where did you learn to show up? Um, I grew up in a family with a father, bless his heart, he's been gone several years now, but he traveled for years. He would be gone Sunday night through Friday night. I grew up in a house with just sisters. I have four sisters, no brothers. I have three daughters, no sons. It took 117 years to get our fourth male in my family because my dad was an only child his dad was an only son and and uh i'm an only son and so it's like no what i think a lot of times and i'm not picking on pastors and many of whom i know for taking on big opportunities mm -hmm. but to me the first church for the pastor is those people that call him dad you as long as i've known you uh, have been a guy that talks news, but you also speak fluent jock. And <laughs> I, uh, and I'm glad to hear that you are still a fan. That you still appreciate that kind of competition. But it wasn't just Woody Allen who's saying just show up uh, to write the script and. Uh, to do all of the things that are involved with a movie or a play uh, or recording a record. Uh, showing up in sports, boy, if they call on you and the coach calls your number or your name, you better show up. Isn't that right? Yes, absolutely. You, you, you have to set your priorities and your limitations. You know, what will you do what are you willing to do in life? For a lot of people, they don't do anything because they're fearful that they might fail. I've dealt with too many elderly that didn't ever go after a dream because if they failed, then mm. they lose their dream. Mm -hmm. But at least they had the opportunity to try. Yes, I played ball. Yes, I still am heavily involved 
in sports. Um, but I also treat sports as a ministry. They may not understand it, but I talk to other pastors who ask me about the things I do. And so I have been blessed to marry off several former NCAA college athletes, some of them their parents, um, because you develop a relationship, you step into their life, you mentor and nurture and counsel when you have those moments. And somewhere down the line, the Lord says, hey, they're going to ask you to marry him. And sure enough, it's happened several, several times. And uh, it just makes me cry thinking of it now because just doing what I'm called to do and show up in the lives of people to make a difference for the good of them and their community. And by the way, if any of you are saying right now, well, yeah, but that's what you're supposed to do. You're, the, you're a minister and you uh, have a congregation and you have that responsibility besides your secret. I'm a guy who goes to the office every day and opportunities like that don't come up. Well, you know what? <laughs> Before Andy McClure... Uh, tells you you're full of beans. I will tell you that before the hour is out, Andy is going to tell you some very specific things that every single one of you can at least jot down, maybe a mental note or write it, write it down with a pen and paper uh, for tomorrow or the next day. But don't wait too long because Andy McClure says, hey, just show up. And uh, and that is true, by the way, outside of volunteering. I know you and your wife, among so many other activities and so many organizations, you've been involved with Habitat for Humanity for a long, long time. One of my absolute favorite uh, organizations, the idea of folks like Andy and even totally helpless people like your fellow talk show host here showing up. <laughs> Showing up with a toolkit. Now, Andy, look, you know me well enough to know that you would have to point out and label the tools by name for me if we were working on the same habitat. But you're talking about actually creating homes uh, for people all over the world. Many of the folks who are doing the creating are not carpenters, not plumbers. They're just guys like me who show up and uh, and guys like Andy McClure, who have been showing up for so long to lead us into that wonderful process that has at its end somebody's home, a brand new home, maybe the first one they've ever had. But we're going to be talking about other uh, methods of determining what you can do for your community, wherever you are. But it, it can start at work in the office, can it not, Andy? Oh, absolutely. Understand that we have relationships everywhere. You have, can have a relationship with the, the checker at the grocery store. You can have a relationship with the coach of your kid's Little League team. Well, who do you spend the most time with? It's probably the people at work. If you go to a physical place for work, and who are you dealing with? You're dealing with fellow humans, people. We all have our fears. We all have our anxieties. We all have our joys and our loves. And if something rocks one of those things, who should be the first person to step up? You. 
whoever you are. You know, if, if the guy in the cubicle next to you uh, has a death in his family, somebody intimately involved, his parent or his spouse or his child, you can easily show up for them. Well, how do you do that? Bring a meal. Go mow their lawn. Go clean their kitchen. You know, the people that showed up when Whitney passed, at one point I think I had a flock of roasted chickens in my refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> there were six or seven of them, you know, the plastic bubble you get at the grocery store. <laughs> and while that's great, you know, God created more flavors than chicken. And so occasionally, you, will, you know, a burger or, or a beef enchilada or something. But we ate a lot of chicken for like two weeks. But people showed up and brought us that. That does two things. One, they took the time to figure out how to go do it and get the stuff. And two, then they made the intention to come to my house and to drop it off. Here's something on that issue, the dealing with uh, those who lose somebody. I'd always kind of known this, but I I had um, didn't really become fully inflamed to me until Whitney passed. And that is, what do you say? What do you say to a family that just lost a child or just lost a spouse? You know, and and in sports, I had a lot of people come to me six months, a year later going, dude, didn't want to get in your face. Just let you be. I'm sorry. And they walk away and they come back. And I said, next time, here's what you do. And they go, what do you mean next time? And I go, well, if you're in relationship with people, your neighbors, the people you work with, your family, there will be a next time. Sadly, people will pass on. And that is don't say anything. Show up, Mm. give them a hug, Mm. maybe a kiss on the cheek, and tell them you love them. Then step back and look and see, oh, they need help with this. I can do that, and just go do it. Just go do it. I was so thrilled that in one of the chapters, uh, I can only tell you that it's, uh, oh yeah, the death in the life of a friend or family member show up, but you included the practicality of what keeps folks from showing up in so many occasions. That is a page devoted to the best things to say to someone in grief. Ah, but wait a minute. As importantly, or perhaps more importantly, the worst things to say to someone in grief, no matter what your intention is, 10 of the best and 10 of the worst. Pick a couple, Andy, to tell folks right now that no matter how positive they think it may sound, tell them what not to say. Just a couple of them. Um, Not to say, uh, I guess God needed her more than you did. Uh (laughs) Wow, punch me in the chest, you know? No. No, God's a God of love and, and wants us to be in relationship. He's not going to just kill people off because he wants them. No, that's not it. And you hear that uh, at one, every funeral. No, another one is what? Uh, they're in a better place. <gasps> well, I have my understanding of what heaven looks like based on biblical uh, uh, consumption. And I don't, you know, probably she's in a better place. But 
that doesn't build them up. That actually hurts. And I'll give you a third one, and there's many more. And that is, you're not over this yet? (laughs) I, I can't believe that anybody would say that, but I know they do. Yeah, because no. And I have been able to sit in front of groups and share this this book, but more so share a lot of uh, issues on grief and, and loss. And um, there's no. And one of the things I tell them, there is no set formula. I, I know the work that your wife does, and she probably would see that and cringe, and go, "There is no set formula." I can give you tips, I can give you tools, I can help you along the way, but it's going to take you maybe two years, five years, the rest of your life. Getting over it, I will never be over the loss uh, of a bright, extremely articulate young lady like my daughter, Whitney. No, don't put a time frame on it. I'm... I'm not here to sell books, and you know that, Andy. I'm here just to introduce really good folks, really interesting folks with interesting things to say to a really attentive audience. But I am here to tell you now that if you were thinking about getting a book with just a page full of things to say or not to say. See, I don't care if you skip the rest of the stuff. Andy has a lot of messages here for you. But if you just get to page 38, you're doing well. It's a relatively small book called Just Show Up. Uh, You never know who will be blessed. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is the one that got to me. Because people say it about the loss of a dog, Mm -hmm. a family pet. But believe it or not, folks, if you haven't been around this kind of unintentionally thoughtless statement, it is said often enough that Andy McClure included in the book. That is one of the worst things you can say to someone in grief. You can still have another child. Child. Yeah. That gave me whiplash when I read that. And Andy, I, yep. and I know that people mean well, but the problem, of course, is when you're facing someone who has just experienced that loss, as you and your wife did, a lot of times folks just don't know what to say. And Andy McClure's uh, solution to that is... You don't have to say anything. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You don't you don't have to have a theological education and you don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to be an ordained pastor or clergy in any denomination or any world religion. Show up, give them a hug, let them know that they are loved, and then just step back and watch and see what needs to be done. Sure I gave a list of things you can say, but you don't have to say anything. Here's something, though, that I think a lot of people may be saying right now. In fact, I think I just got a message from Pierre, South Dakota, and another one from Fresno. Uh, Oxnard is not listening today. They just don't care. But, <laughs> but I will tell you the phrase that probably is coming up with the idea that people can, all of the people listening, can do something to be of assistance 
to the folks down the street or at the church or the school? And the answer that they're giving us is, well, no, I think it's a wonderful idea. And Andy sounds like a good guy. And Pat, hey, thank you for having him on. But I don't have the time. It's impossible. I hardly have the time just to take care of my own affairs. And Andy McClure says... You have time if you find it important. If you want to hide yourself in the garage or the back closet and be, you know, away from everybody, fine. That's your choice. Go ahead and do this. But ultimately, being that this is the God show, God created us in relationship. We can go all the way back to Genesis. Adam and Eve, you know, God said, oh, man needs some need some assistance. So he brought woman. And, you know, I know enough couples that I've married that there's a lot of grooms that really need help. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's true. I'm a guy. Well, yeah, but wait a minute. But no, you, you emphasize the fact that sometimes you take guys to task. And are, are you just keeping a protective envelope around the women of the world? Well, if they've got my last name, typically I do, but is no, you know, women, women are, are nurturers, lovers, and caregivers. Guys, we don't do that. We, we can do that, but that's not really the way we were wired. We were wired to be the, the bulk and the brawn and to be the hunters and gatherers and then come home and be cared for by that spouse, that wife. And, um, in both cases, we are showing up. The husband's showing up by providing for his family. The wife is showing up by taking care of the intimate cares of her husband and kids. This is not men domineering over the top of women. This is both coming together going, we are far better. The sum of the two of us is far better than the individual parts. So showing, up, so, in, so showing up in marriage... Uh, why don't you give us the McClure angle on that? Because there's folks right now who are listening to your perhaps idealistic view of the world of couples, uh, and they're saying, hey, Andy, listen, you obviously were a lucky person being married for how long? Andy, how many years? 33. Yeah, okay. And so... You're saying, well, 33 years for Andy, 38 for Pat McMahon. Both lucky, lucky guys. I married Medusa with the snaky locks. And, and, and all she does is look at me uh, with that look, and I become uh, a withering uh, little reptile. Uh, so let's face it, not everybody has the kind of marriage that you and I have, Andy. True. But we also then have to step back and examine, why did we get married? Mm. Something I do with every couple before I meet them at the altar, uh, at, a, at an outdoor venue or inside of a church, is I ask them, what, is, what does the word love mean in the context of marriage? And I break down love. There's Eros love, which is a very selfish love. I get what I want out of it, and, and when I'm done with it, I push it aside. 
you know, that we do that with cheesecake. You don't eat the whole cheesecake. You eat a bite or two or a piece or two, and then you pass it away. Okay, wait a minute. Wait wait just a second. Hold on, Andy, because you used Eros love, which is erotic, uh, emotional love. Uh, It's also sexual love. Are you diminishing the value of that kind of communication in a relationship? No. But Eros love is very me-focused. What do I get out of it? What do I get out of it? How do I get blessed? How do I find pleasure? And so, as you said, the word erotic, you know, you're looking at a dirty book or watching something uh, on a movie or something. Is the person on the screen getting anything out of this? No, but I am, or the person watching is. So that's one level. Next is philia, which we have the city of Philadelphia. Yes. Which is the city of brotherly love. That's the love you have for the person that you sit next to at work. That's the person who lives next door to you. You care about them. You want to do see them well, but you really don't go out of your way to to make their life better. You definitely don't make it worse, but you're not constantly taking care of them. The last and the ultimate is the agape love, which biblically talks about Jesus' love for the church. Well, what did he do? He sacrificed himself. He gave himself up for the church, the Roman Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church, the Presbyterians. He gave himself up, and he equates marriage to that same kind of love. So the man and the woman, while they love each other, and yes, there's times of eroticism, and yes, there's times of philia, but ultimately is you stepped into that relationship. Why? Because you're willing to sacrifice for that other individual. You're willing to sacrifice for those children. And when so this brings it back to the question you had before, what if I go, I don't have enough time? Then you have to reexamine why you're in this. Why are you doing this? And if you're not willing to step up and sacrifice and do for somebody from time to time, what's your point in being part of a community or part of a relationship? So, Andy, you just gave us uh, some terrific lessons out of the life of Jesus. But does that mean that Andy McClure, author of Just Show Up, says, just show up if you're a Christian. The rest of you, you don't have a shot in hell. No, because yeah, they're, they're, you're familiar with the golden rule, right? Oh, yeah. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Every culture in the world has some kind of golden rule lesson. Every culture. We can find it in the Bible. We can find it in society. We can go to the ends of the earth, and every culture will have that. So what does that say? We all have a belief that we want to be treated the way we treat others. Or we treat others the way they've treated us. And so if I'm going to sacrifice, if I'm going to show up at your house when there's a baby born or when you've lost a job or when there's a death in the family, then the thought is that's what's going to come back when you're in that situation. And so if we just don't want to be bothered and we don't feel the need to sacrifice our time and our energy and our, even our monies, then go hide. It's interesting because, that you should bring up, though, the golden rule because 
the Arizona interfaith movement here, very, very active in the total community, the Eastern religions, uh, the Jewish synagogues, uh, uh, the, uh, the Muslim members, uh, all of the Christian faiths, all of them together in doing really, really positive things. And the dinner that they have, big fundraising event every year, uh, is devoted to that simple message, the golden rule. It's the golden rule banquet every year. And that's, that's when, Andy, you would love it. In fact, if you're here during that period of time in the spring, I would love to have you as my guest because being on stage as the MC and looking out at that audience, and here's the table with, here's the priest with the Roman collar, and here's the, the African representative of his faith in a dashiki, and here's a people with turbans. And, and the amazing thing is, is that all of these faiths with 1,200, 1,500 people under one roof, all of them dining together and sharing the goodness of mankind and the golden rule, and I don't believe there's ever been a fist fight that broke out. It's really a remarkable Good. experience, Andy. It is. And so it, you can equate just show up in a kind of a cousinly way to the golden rule. Mm -hmm. And that is we are called, as, and I'll say this for me, as a Christian man, I'm called to serve those who are my neighbors. It doesn't say those that agree with everything I agree with. doesn't say that I have to root for your football team. doesn't say that I have to dine at your favorite restaurant. It just says we are in this together. Let's treat each other as no matter what denomination or religion you may be, we're all children of God and help each other when those moments arise. But Andy, aren't there times when religions don't show up themselves, when religions fail their congregations or their membership uh, for, for whatever reason? I know you know those stories, and they happen yes. all too often. They do because, and it may be more so today than it has been in your and my lifetime, um, which collectively I think is somewhere around 211 years. Um, I no. remember when um, I used to welcome you as a friend. <laughs> but is that um, in our lifetime, we have seen, and I've seen a, maybe in the last five years, a tremendous progression towards personal power and either you agree with me or we can't be in relationship. More so than it was when we were kids. You know, I, I remember distinctly um, when I was finishing up seminary in 1996 in Southern California, my middle daughter, Haley, was three, and she was at a preschool at a church. And she was and still is very blonde and very pale. And that class that she was in had kids from all over the world, Eastern, European, uh, Middle Eastern uh, kids, mm -hmm. African kids. Mm -hmm. And they just crawled all over the floor playing and had a grand old time. When we moved back to Phoenix to take my first church job following education, 
she went to a, a, a preschool in the town I grew up in, Scottsdale, and they were all white kids. Mm-hmm. And she came home after the second day and said, where are all the brown kids? Where are all the black kids? <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with this school? Yeah, what's well, going on? some people may look at that, but she, she had no issue no matter what color you were and how you combed your hair and the style of clothing that you wear. She just loves showing up and hanging out with kids. And when those kids play on the floor together, they're all equals. Mm. And they're all enjoying each other and learning from each other. You've been a man so of today, faith, Andy, for a long time. You've been a man of faith for a long time. And so I am obligated, as I've said, as a longtime friend of yours, and as somebody who admires uh, the way you apply your faith to your daily life. But I wonder if on that day, August the 20th, when that, that daughter in her mid-20s was taken, did you ever find yourself questioning your faith, questioning how God could ever possibly have done that? You know, it, w- it would be very hard-pressed for me to say yes. Um, and and maybe I'm just unique in that way. Um, I was quiet for a couple of months and uh, didn't share a lot because I was processing. You know, uh, guys, we always want to figure out why something happens or how something's built. I mean, guys are the only ones that read the directions, you know, on the package for how to build the swing set. If you gave it to a wife, she would just throw the parts out there and go, oh, this fits here. That fits there. Here we go. So I was in that kind of mindset. And I had some emotional times a a few months after her passing. And that's when I started to write the book because it was an issue that I could express myself and how I was feeling. And how I was feeling was, there's going to be times in our lives. We just don't know the answer. But God's asking us to be faithful and to keep walking forward. And as those doors open, keep walking through those doors. And until he closes a door behind us, which has happened, um, then that's what I'm going to do. And I will tell you, this is, this is uh, not to be corny or to look like I'm overtly righteous. But I, we talked about the sports. I work about 250 events a year. And you have pockets of downtime, but then you have pockets like I had last month where I had 36 ball games in 10 days. <laughs> and so NCAA predominantly. And um, every time the national anthem is played, Yes, I stand. Yes, I have my hand on my heart, but I also pray. And that's my moment. I pray for the ball game, pray for the safety of the athletes, and uh, reference Whitney during that prayer time and invite her to come hang out and sit in the stands or sit next to me or what have you. It, it, it will never change. And so will I ever have lack of faith? There might be a, an hour one day or a couple of hours one day. Um, but I, I, I would answer you, and this has been kind of a long answer. Uh, I will answer you by saying 
No, not really. I didn't have the answers when this all happened, but I am enough of an individual that trusts in my Lord that he's got something going. But do you think that either one of those coaches, if it's a football game, should gather the players around him and pray at the end of the game, even though it's a public school? I wouldn't say that the coach should gather them, but I would say if the coach chooses to pray and kids choose to show up and join him, Let's talk about school. Let's talk about the specifics because we can talk about all of the good things that should be in our hearts and should be on our calendar. But what for me, it's always a whole lot easier, like reading your book and jotting down some of the ideas that you gave me about volunteer activities that I never thought about. So let's start. Everybody has, no matter where they are in this audience, no matter what country they're in, no matter what culture, everybody has a school pretty close by. So showing up at your children's school is one of the volunteer things that we can do. But then what? What are we showing up for, Andy? You have it in the book. Now put it on the God Show. Schools, no, long, no matter how long we go, will always be underfunded or have a lack of resources. And many times those resources are adults that can assist a teacher. Let the teacher teach, but there's stuff that has to be done in the school for the classroom, for the kids, that a volunteer that comes in a couple of times a week can, can take care of. Things like showing up and going, hey, do you need photocopies of stuff? Okay, give me the stack, I go down and I'll collate them. Do you need stuff put into the kids' cubbies? Yeah, I can do that. Either of those two very simple things takes very little brain energy. It's a task. And you go, well, I'm, I'm well beyond that. Well, yeah, you might be. You might be a Ph.D. You might have a master's degree. That's not the point. You showed up to help an individual who's helping your kids or your grandkids or the neighbor kids to do something so that they can do it better. Other ways in the school, and this is something that's actually going to be part of a Book three, book two's in the process, but book three is going to be in the issue, and, and, and to a point, you're going to be part of that, and that is, uh, I've never known how old you are, and I'm not going to ask, but I've watched you in your career continue to move forward using the gifts and talents that the Lord blessed you with. Hence, we got the God Show. A few years ago, we had some kid named Gerald, <laughs> and so... Uh, and so Here's some things that, okay, what does the retired person do? Because there's nothing biblical about retiring. You may no longer take a paycheck, but you can still show up in, in schools. And so go to, go to Walmart, go to Target, and buy yourself some flashcards, you know, arithmetic kinds of things. And go talk to Mrs. Smith in the third grade and find out who is it that really needs help in learning their multiplication tables or their division tables so that you can come in with those flashcards and work with kids to help them have a better grasp of basic mathematics. And I've had people go, why? Why would you want to do that? And I said, do you grocery shop? <laughs> yeah. Well, if I buy something three for a dollar, but I only need two, do you understand how much that's going to cost you? It's called simple division. 
if you don't grasp some of those things in the first, second, third grade, you're going to struggle in life in a lot of ways. So you can show up. Now, here's the beauty is you've got Mrs. Smith in third grade, but you probably also have Mrs. Jones also in third grade. Can you help her? Yes, you can. You can show up at one, one classroom on Monday and Wednesdays and the other ones on Tuesdays and Thursdays and work with a whole generation of kids, helping them to come to a better understanding of basic educational principles. I hope that everybody is jotting down some of these things because it's just the beginning. Oh, by the way, uh, I should acknowledge for somebody right now who has never been in Arizona, uh, the Gerald that Andy was referring to had nothing to do with your husband, Gerald. Uh, you were thinking, wait, wait a minute, did he work with Pat and Phoenix on television or something? No, it's, it was a character on a kid's show that I did for years and years and years that was so rotten. It was such a villain that only God himself could actually accept any sort of penance uh, or confession from uh, from Gerald. But boy, was that fun to do. And I thank you for remembering, Andy. What about, though, Rachel's Challenge? Rachel's Challenge, for those that don't know who Rachel is, her name is Rachel Joy Scott. She was the first person shot and killed at Columbine, which is just west of downtown Denver. This was in 1999. And two gunmen, uh, high school kids, came in, shot she and another kid named Richard sitting out eating lunch, and then went into the school, killing 13 more, 12 students and a teacher, before eventually taking their lives. And, oh golly, 10, 12 years ago, I met uh, Daryl Scott, Rachel's dad, Mm. who had been recently invited to speak to Congress on the issue of school violence. They all thought that he was going to talk about gun control. No. He and his son, Craig, who I'm friends with, they went and sat before Congress and talked about how the only way we're going to take care of this violence issue is if we work on changing the hearts of men and women and school kids. To be kind, to be compassionate, to come alongside the kids that tend to be the wallflowers because they're bullied or they're they're left out of the mix. Well, because of that, Daryl started getting invited to the um, to schools and churches around the country to speak. It got too much, so he started bringing in uh, other speakers. And because I had a broadcast background and a ministry background, that I was ideal. So for a couple of years, I did that. Mm. I only stayed on for that time because it really started to become a, a trying issue that I wasn't home and that I needed to be back at home with my wife and daughters. They're at an age that uh, a lot of hormones are going and a lot of uh, conflict, you know, between teenagers or, or preteens and their mama. And it was like, no, I, I need to stay home and I can't travel. But I went from Maine to San Diego and and uh, all over the country, sharing that message and showing up in people's lives. And they, over the last 20-something years, have uh, kept a whole lot of rioting to, to a minimum uh, by working with some of those kids that had those thoughts. Other school shootings, 
uh, a gazillion um, suicide attempts. And so traveling with them for almost two years uh, was a very wide-eyed, opening kind of thing. And uh, used still some of those principles that we were teaching kids how to work with people um, here in Erie, Colorado today. Well, we would certainly pray also uh, in whatever whatever choice of prayer uh, might be comfortable for you, that uh, someday uh, it'll get better from the standpoint of school shooting and uh, children being massacred. Uh, listen, we've only got two minutes, Andy. And uh, yes. I want to know... They see, you're a broadcaster, so I can say we've only got two minutes, and you won't take three and a half. Mm-hmm. Two, two minutes to tell us what it is that the churchgoers can do to do more than just show up for services. That's, that is probably the prime opportunity. You and I would probably agree on this, and that is the church— uh, 75 years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, was the social service agent of the community. When you needed clothes, you needed food, you needed help, you went and talked to the pastor at the church, and people rallied and came alongside and helped people. The church hasn't done so much of that lately. The church has not been that engaging. The church that we attend and participate with and work with and work for uh, is really big on the whole community aspect. And so you can do it within the church, you know, teach Sunday school, scrub the carpets when they need to be scrubbed, dust the offices when they need to be dusted. But outside the church, you can be one of those that rallies the neighbor kids and brings them to Sunday school. And I'll be this blatant, and that is so that they can come and hear the gospel of Jesus. They can come and hear about the saving grace of Christ. You can provide food and other sustenance needs for those who just need it. And so the church is such an avenue for service within their community to show up. Uh, the possibilities are endless. You know what? That's pretty much the way I thought uh, my reaction was when I read the book. The possibilities? Endless. Especially for those of you who say, well, I, I never know what to do. I don't have any idea what I'm supposed to offer. Uh, well, you know what? I'll bet if you show up at the school or the church or one of those places that regularly just helps people, they might be able to make suggestions. And if you still can't think of anything, how about picking up a copy of Just Show Up by my guest Andy McClure on The God Show. And this is Pat McMahon.